Heavenly Father, again and again, we're reminded by you through your precious word that you are sovereign, that you have all things under control because, in fact, you're the creator, you're the sustainer, and uh, far, far more than that. Although when we look at the heavens around us and we look at uh, the wonders here in this earth, in this world, uh, we're always in amazement and we're always in awe when we consider what you have accomplished. And just this last week uh, here, we saw amazing displays in the planetary heavens with Jupiter, which is most uh, awesome from here in New Hampshire. So, Father, I thank you for that and for often reminding us of your power and your glory there in the heavenlies and here on this earth. And, Father, we are also amazed when we consider how you've worked in our lives and how many ways that you continue to underscore your presence, your redeeming grace your sustaining power is evident in us and around us and then father the opportunities the privileges we have to share our blessed lord with others and we're so thankful for those and then, father there are many things also specific things to be thankful for as has been mentioned to be thankful for all things and and opportunities to teach your word and to to share you with groups and such as we have here this morning and during the week so father we're so thankful for that we're thankful for each one who's with us this morning that various challenges were met not by our strength or power but by your work heavenly father and so we're gathered this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those that truly are in need, Father, and certainly some are. And we pray that each of us would find your word a special blessing today as we finish up Paul's letter to the Colossians. There are many unspoken requests, Heavenly Father, but you know them all. And certainly our nation is in great need in our people and the church, the living God, having compromised so often that it's hard to find there um, the traces uh, sometimes of your work, uh, although uh, your work can never be canceled out by the enemy. And certainly it will go forward. And we're so thankful for that. But, Father, we do pray that you'd raise up those who would be willing to speak boldly in the name of the Lord and to accomplish the purpose that you have for them, even in government, that uh, our government might be transformed and become again what it once was in order to reflect the will of the people of this great land. So, Father... I pray that uh, your word would capture the hearts of many, and this is a special day for that each week. So we pray for that, Heavenly Father. And pray for our meeting now, in Christ's name, amen. Well, I have mixed feelings about getting to the end of Colossians. 
Colossians is such a wonderful letter, and it's not very long, relatively short. Everything in it is precisely focused on the issues at hand. And the Apostle Paul, in a short form, teaches what he also teaches in longer form in his letter to the Ephesians. We've talked about that already and why that might be, but um, certainly the letter to the Colossians has much in it that we are in great need to know, to receive as truth, and to find suitable for applying perfectly to our own circumstances, because not that much has changed between the first century and the uh, current century <laughs> 19 and a half um, centuries 19 and a half centuries think about that that's a lot of centuries that have passed and yet the issues that believers face are still mostly the same so today what i'd like to do is not to review uh, <clears throat> last week's lesson, don't really need to do that, uh, but rather to just jump right into the teaching here, uh, which will have four parts, because the four parts, to some degree, conform to the four chapters <clears throat> in this letter. And if you make a simplistic outline like that, which I have made here and will follow today, uh, then we find out, first of all, that the exalted Christ and his indwelling are the focal point of God's work today. <clears throat> Let me say that again. The exalted Christ and his indwelling are the focal point of God's work today. Secondly, and this is chapter two, the threat of new age it's not new any longer, but it's even called that today by many. But the threat of New Age Judaism and Christianity, New Age Judaism and New Age Christianity continues. The threat continues. It's not only an ancient threat. It's not only something that Paul was directing many words to. In fact, more, more words to that, I'm, I think, uh, than nearly any other subject in the letter. So on his mind, it was a major factor indeed, and the teaching very important for the Colossian believers and for us, since, as I said, not that much has changed in all these years. The third point is what we see in the third chapter, and that's that true spirituality exhorts us all to the reckoning that counts. The reckoning that counts makes all the difference because that's where we take God at his word concerning what's been accomplished in our Lord Jesus Christ by his coming into this world, sacrificing himself willingly, dying for uh, all of our sins, and then in his glorious resurrection, raised for our justification and all that is critically important for us to know, because if not, we're captured by a religious system of one kind or another. So 
True spirituality exhorts us all to the reckoning that counts. It makes the difference, in other words, it counts, and it makes the difference. And then the fourth chapter, the transforming power of God's unlimited grace has been manifested. Oh, wow. The transforming power of God's unlimited grace has been manifested. Praise God for his wonderful grace. Okay, um, so we begin uh, considering the teaching in chapter 1 concerning the exalted Christ and his indwelling and how that is the focal point of God's work today. And as you will remember, because I've said it now so many times, the issue is what is God doing? And many spend much time and write many words about it and, and pretty much miss the point entirely uh, many times by many words and being completely off track because they don't bother to spend time in these letters where they would learn, you would say, so easily because it's written so clearly and powerfully, but they would learn exactly what God is doing today. But to know what God is doing today, you have to know what God has already done <laughs> and then uh, go from there, right? So I'd like us to begin with that. So Lydia, I'd like you to read for us in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Lydia? For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated, alienated with an enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you the holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Thank you. Thank you very much, Lydia. And then just continuing right on with the next verses. Jerry, would you read uh, verses 23 through 29, please? Yes. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, 
warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Thank you, Jerry. So that is the statement, really, quite a few words, a number of sentences, which uh, exalt Christ. And it ends there with this amazing statement about Christ indwelling within the believers today. And certainly that then provides the focal point of God's work in in uh, this current time. If you just think about it this way, I mean, Christ indwelling every believer? Think about that. <laughs> Not simply from the point of view of being a great, great miracle indeed, but just think about the consequence of such a thing as that in the overall work of God today, right? If Christ indwells every believer, does that not change <laughs> pretty much everything uh, that we might have ever thought about what God is doing? I mean, after all, much of the uh, teaching and, and preaching and uh, discussion about what God is doing today, or let us say not doing, right? is focused on other matters like uh, the homeless on the streets, for example, or uh, the borders or the health circumstances of our people or, you know, all of these things, right? Uh, so much discussion about this, about what God is doing or God isn't doing, and very little discussion about Christ in us, believers, who is. He says, the hope of glory. Now, why is that? Why is there so little discussion about that? Well, because the enemy does not want this truth to be known. And if it is known, in fact, it's written on the page, and these pages are printed everywhere still, right? The book burnings haven't begun here much yet, like they have in other countries, to destroy this this word on the page. But... Uh, perhaps will again, but uh, the enemy certainly uh, wants to cloud the minds of the people so they do not even open the page and consider what's written here. And many translations confuse the language enough that uh, the truth of God is not any longer revealed on the written page, on the printed page. Fortunately, we do have translations that are accurate enough that we can learn what God is saying, even in the English language. Praise God. And so we've read already here this morning enough to just sort of found our lives permanently on this. Memorizing it, maybe taking it to heart, um, sharing it one with another. May our fellowship with one another be based on this and not everything else. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing, right? And yet often it's not, and many times I believe it's not even fellowship uh, that we engage in. So what Paul is doing here in the first chapter, it seems to me, is to focus on the highest truth concerning what God is doing today in this current dispensation of God. 
What is this current dispensation of God? It's the dispensation of the grace of God, according to Ephesians chapter 3. It's the dispensation, the one which is of faith and not works of law, according to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Okay? And so this dispensation, meaning the working of God today, how God is working in his provisions for all of us believers, that is uh, what Paul begins the letter with and highlights exactly in these words. So, since the first and last part of any letter provide what's most important, as far as the author is concerned, you can see what's most important to the Apostle Paul. That's what he reveals here. So important, he says, that he's dedicated his life to teaching it and preaching it, right? Let me read again there, verses 26 through 29. The mystery, or sacred secret, right? Because that's what this word signifies. The secret which had been hid. Okay, so see, it was kept secret. And uh, much more about that in Ephesians 3 than here where there's a shorter reference to the truth, but it says the mystery which hath been hid from ages and generations, but now, do a little word study on the but now, you'll learn some very interesting things. But now what? (laughs) In comparison to then, back then when it was kept secret, right? But now it's not kept secret anymore. It's openly revealed. Verse 27, revealed to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. So I've said before, and we belabored the point at some length about how there are many dimensions uh, revealed of that mystery. And um, I think a better word than dimension, although I, I didn't choose to use it previously, but the better word might be facets. The truth of the mystery is like a very large stone found in the earth. And uh, those who discovered it realized right off its value. In fact, it was a diamond, but it was of gigantic proportions. And so the best uh, uh, diamond cutters in the world began to work on it to bring out its internal glories. And so they cut facets on it with uh, special tools, right? Special grinding uh, machines to allow the light from the outside to reflect off of its internal being and essence and to reveal the glory that was placed there by the creator, right? So that's what this special truth is all about. There are many facets to it that are just amazing once we begin to comprehend them. And so Paul uses a number of words to communicate that. And he says that the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles is Christ in you, in you Gentiles, the hope of glory. Then he says, whom we preach. I emphasize that because I think it's often missed, even by those that have studied this carefully, right? 
thinking that it's Jesus who's being preached. Well, it is, but it's uh, uh, the Lord Jesus as is revealed here, okay? Uh, and so it is Christ as revealed here in the sacred secret given to Paul for us that Paul is uh, referring, uh, whom we preach. So this is the Christ who is exalted above all, right? Uh, and in fact, and not only exalted above all, but he is having redeemed us through the blood of his cross, he is the head of a heavenly organism. That heavenly organism contains all uh, believers today. And that heavenly organism is called by Paul the body of Christ. There's a reason why the body of Christ is never mentioned by any author except Paul. Churches are mentioned by others because the word church means an assembly. Israel, in fact, was a church. You can read in the book of Acts, chapter 7, to see that. The church in the wilderness is called. That's not the body of Christ in the wilderness of Sinai. That is uh, the nation of Israel at the time, having been delivered by God uh, through great miracles and brought out of Egypt and 400 years of bondage and into the desert and then taken off in the direction of the promised land. Okay. So there are several churches mentioned in the Bible, one of which is the body of Christ. That one mentioned only by Paul, because that one constitutes one of the facets on the jewel of the sacred secret given to Paul for our benefit. Okay. Okay, so that's what we see revealed here. Just how critically important this teaching was for Paul is made clear there in, in verse 28. Where he says, whom we preach, warning every man. Warning? Okay. Hmm. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. He says that, that he may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Perfect, not meaning without any stain of sin whatsoever in this life or failure or, or anything of the sort. Meaning just complete complete in Christ Jesus, according to the working of his marvelous grace. So for that, the revelation given here is a necessity, Paul writes, right? And he then, using four different words for working in verse 29, uh, explains that further. He says, whereunto I also labor, there's the first word, striving, there's the second word, According to his working, that's the third word, which worketh, and here's the fourth word. They're all different words in the Greek language. Worketh in me mightily. How important, therefore, was this teaching concerning the mystery to Paul? It's nothing else but more important for Paul to teach and preach and warn because it's just that important. Okay, that brings us to where we need to be to consider the next chapter, chapter two, where we see the threat of New Age Judaism and Christianity continues. Okay, 
So the question answered, the question that Paul will answer here would be this one. What is the greatest threat to believers who are members of the body of Christ? What's the greatest threat to them? And people will go on and on talking about many things to answer that. Paul, though, does not answer the question the way you might have expected. If you had never read this before, you might be a little surprised. Why is he writing about the rudiments of the world here? Why is he writing about philosophy? Hmm. Vain deceit. Traditions. Well, because they stand in the way of the teaching concerning the ex exalted Christ Jesus, head over all things, principalities, powers, mights, dominions. Those are all spirit beings in the heavenlies who are under Satan's control. Okay, but Christ is above them all and also as head of the body. Okay, so what is it that's contrary to that teaching? He says here what that is. So I'd like, Linda, would you please read for us these verses, Colossians 2, verses 8 through 17. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. For in, in whom also ye are circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him, through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins, and the circumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Amen. I'm hearing a lot of amens from that. That's an incredible teaching. In fact, this teaching here, Actually, compared to the teaching in Ephesians in the parallel section, is even more detailed than what's in Ephesians. So we can see that the uh, subject at hand, as far as Paul is concerned, is the false teachers and how they are attempting to lead astray the believers in Colossae from the Pauline doctrine. And substituting for it what is often called a Gnostic teaching, a religious system, really. It was a strange mix of Judaism and, what dare I say, Christianity, a strange mix of it, leaving out things that were critical and adding all kinds of other things that were actually demonic. So creating a religious system which was not true, authentic Christianity at all. Uh, 
any longer. Okay. And yet that was taking over the world at the time. And Paul is uh, here establishing, sort of putting the, uh, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, the nail in his coffin. It was sort of like that in a sense. Um, he is nailing down the truth once and for all. And uh, here it is, right? Now, he mentions nails also in the section, interestingly. Okay, so he says here that uh, that false teaching and those false teachers are not creating a system that's beneficial to believers and helpful, but rather just the opposite. It steals away the glory of the Lord, for one thing. It puts in between the perfectly righteous God and holy God and sinful man. It puts in between many other layers within some kind of, of uh, authoritarian system. Uh, some of those uh, elements being in the heavenlies, some of those elements being on earth. Okay, And you may find that strange indeed, but if you look at uh, several of the major religions of the world, you'll see today we have exactly that. It's found in Scientology. It's found in Mormonism. It's found in Roman Catholicism. Think about it. I mean, what are the members in the heavenlies considered to be critical today to believers by the one group? It's the mother of our Lord's humanity, Mary, and all the saints, right? In the heavenlies, prayer is made to them. Their work on behalf of people still living here is considered essential, right? And then on the earth, you have a whole hierarchy going from the Pope all the way down to the lowliest minister in a given district or area. Okay, so that's a Gnostic religious system, a pattern really after what existed there in the first century. And so everything written here applies directly to that organization. Other groups, as I said, have a similar kind of system with different names, different personalities and so forth. Okay, so he says here and uses the past tense for this all. Because in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily, uh, there is no need for any other intermediary. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We read of that in another place, right? And so Paul says these ceremonies that they religiously put in the way of true faith they don't help faith. They're put in the way of true faith. He says those, if if they signified anything, they're taken from the, the Jewish practices, of course, and go all the way back to the law. But um, if they had any positive benefit, he says they just point forward to uh, things to come. Verse 17, they're a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Uh, verse 16 mentions holy days, uh, new moons, Sabbath days, special 
eating or, re, or refraining from eating certain foods, special drinks, all of this. Uh, and you have circumcision and baptism on the list here, right? So Paul says we already have received the true and full reality of these different things. Uh, and how did that all happen? Verse 14 tells us how. He says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Well, in other words, we've had all of our sins forgiven, right? And that handwriting <laughs> that was against us was contrary to us. He says he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So there was a book nailed to the cross that you may not have known anything about. That was the book of the law taken out of the way. All it could do was condemn anyway because nobody could keep it. Nobody could keep it. And the Jews were expected to keep it nevertheless. And so in their system, it was the constant sacrificing of animals and other religious ceremonies that were required of them to provide any entry at all into fellowship with God. And it was a small entry indeed compared to what we have, all of our sins having been completely washed away forever, forgiven eternally. The Jews had to recall their sins over and over again because they weren't truly forgiven. They were just passed by, right? Every year on the Day of Atonement, they were required to review them. But all of our sins have been paid for. So here we see the great difference between the religious system of Israel and then the perverted religious system using Greek philosophy and so forth that created what they claimed was a more authentic form of Christianity, which they then propagated around the world, right? So, indeed, it's a great miracle to deliver anyone from any of that, but we have been delivered from it, he says. And, but, he says, it's up to us, therefore, to receive this teaching completely. And so he goes on and explains that. He says, uh, if we go down further, and go to the notes, because I have a lot more detail in the notes than what I'm able to give you here this morning, but... In, in uh, the verses at the end of chapter 2, we sort of see the other side of it. I mean, if, if we'd fall prey to the false teachers and to these religious systems, then we're giving up something. <laughs> Practically speaking, giving up a lot, right? Because you become bound to a religious system, which will have you living constantly in a cycle of guilt and supposed forgiveness going back and forth and always failing to live up to the standard of the organization and its many, many requirements, okay? So he says, verse 18, Colossians 2, let no man beguile you of your reward <laughs> uh, through a voluntary humility, a, a, a humility of the will, a voluntary humility. Even involving, he says, worshiping of angels, intruding 
to those things which he hath not really seen, claiming to have seen this or that, having heard this or that, but not really. These are demonic <laughs> things indeed, right? Vainly puffed up also by his fleshly mind. So it's not only demons that communicate to people, but uh, people's flesh <laughs> and the desires of the flesh uh, are also communicating to the minds of these focused on these religious systems, right? Giving them false senses of righteousness and all of that, right? Ah, and he says, and not holding the head. So that false religious teaching cuts against and goes contrary to the true teaching of what God is really doing today through the head and its re his relationship to the body and the body relationship one to another and to the head, right? Verse 19, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth or grows, right? Spiritually grows with the growth of God. So he says, don't be subject. He does not say go along with their ordinances because um, we have a better understanding that we can continue on with them so that we don't offend them. That's really not what he says here at all. It's quite different. He says, don't submit to them. Stand apart. Because everything they're promoting is that in the realm of the flesh. Touch not, taste not, handle not. All perish with the using after the commandments of doctrines of men. Okay, so that's uh, the second chapter. Isn't that a wonderful teaching? That's so directly applicable to today. Then uh, the third chapter focuses on the reckoning that counts and how that's at the heart of true spirituality. We spent a lot of time on this before, so all I'll do now is quickly comment on it. But uh, I'd like um, Patty to read for us uh, those wonderful verses in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Okay, thank you. So see, those, there are promises there. Um, absolutely. It has been stated that all of us are going to be in the glory. Remember, he said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think about that. If Christ indwells the believer and can never leave us nor forsake us, then God's going to accomplish a glorious and heavenly purpose, right? Otherwise, this world of sin goes on forever, right? So we need to be taken out of this world so God can accomplish his purpose with that separately, right? But we'll be caught up into heaven's glory. But I think it's saying much more than that here. What he's really saying here is that we're already risen with Christ. Therefore, we're to focus in on the things that are above and to see what's happening from the heavenly perspective. And so that, that's the way he introduces this whole section on uh, 
counting on these already accomplished things that are so wonderful indeed that have risen our lives above and beyond this world entirely right so he says therefore we should uh, set our affection on the things above which is where he says we are sitting in christ jesus at the right hand of god the father okay so set your affection on things above not on things on the earth for you died already died spiritually to all of this right and our life is hid with Christ in God. And so therefore, it's only when Christ is revealed through us that who we truly are in Christ is also revealed. And that's what our life is about here. Once we become a believer, our life is designed by God to reveal Christ heavenly, the heavenly Christ to the world. Okay. That's what those verses say. And so these uh, verses share a truth that cuts completely across and destroys the false religious systems of the world that say nothing at all about uh, the heavenly Christ and all about the earthly Christ. That's all they ever focus on, right? The Christ that came to Israel to fulfill the law and uh, what that all meant which is a wonderful teaching indeed, but it's not the same teaching as what we are supposed to focus on today. Let's keep going, though, because, Gail, I want you to read uh, how the knowledge of the heavenly truth is supposed to affect our lives and how it may affect our lives dramatically. So, Gail, would you read Colossians 3, verses 5 through 13? Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, and the which you also walk sometime when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, is the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against in any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Okay, thank you very much, Gail. So instead of receiving forgiveness because we've forgiven everyone else, he says, Christ already forgave you, therefore you should forgive them. Just like in the end of Ephesians chapter 5, right? Okay, so the reckoning that counts then is very well established. Paul doesn't use the word reckoning here, but he does use the illustration or the analogy of putting on clothing, taking off one set of clothing, putting on another. He said, you've already, <laughs> you've already, what? have put on the 
new man, verse 10. Every believer has already put on the new man. But there's still a renewing going on, which is being renewed even now in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Okay, so therefore we, by faith, put on this new set of clothing. And, and this is somewhat parallel, and the certain many words are the same as what you find in Galatians chapter 5, the great chapter on walking in the Spirit, right? So that's how God is working today under grace. Praise his name. And may we receive the precious truth and find out that it then empowers us to live above and beyond everything in this world system, right? What a privilege it is to have his abundant grace and to find it sufficient for every need. Then the fourth chapter, and there is the long list. And I'll just say this about it. Um, you remember in chapter one, we already read verses there where, where Paul said quite a lot about how God had worked. And we're going to read as we close today, those some of those earlier verses, the very first verses in the letter. But what Paul describes here is how God's unlimited grace and its great power has already transformed many. And what he really is doing is reminding them of what God had already done in their lives. So how could they turn aside from what God had already done and fall into a, a perverted religious system that offers nothing in comparison, right, to what they already had. I mean, they had been delivered from this religious system. I don't believe that the the Colossian church was full of people who had been very nice, good people all of their lives. Then, then the word uh, is preached and they become believers. No, they were caught up in the religious system, very much so for the most part, right? And they'd been delivered from it. So how in the world can they go back into something that's no better than that, right? In fact, it's for really worse, perhaps in certain ways. Okay, because it's a satanic deception that has been foisted upon them by false teachers. So, you know, what, what you might be amazed that he would want to end the letter, though, just with a list of names. There are only nine names in the list. Now, they're all people that they either knew well or would soon probably come to know well, right? And this is this letter stands written, and they'll be copied and read over and over and over again. And for a while, it may be one of the only things that they have written by Paul. But uh, uh, a list of names as a way to end a letter it just doesn't seem like that's that important. Well... It is, because these names certified that God's unlimited grace was working. What else is God doing today but transforming such as that, such as Onesimus, a runaway slave, right? And the Lord God even engineered his deliverance, his salvation, and now he sends him back to his master. The slave being sent back to his master in, in the Greek world, the Greek Roman world, I mean, what will be the consequence of that, right? Imprisonment or death? Well, no, of course, grace will be manifested. And Paul wrote a letter to Philemon and had Onesimus carry the very letter to his 
master, right? Imagine him knocking on the door of the house. They open the door of the house. Who says, oh, it's Onesimus. He's returned. Oh, my. And he has in his hand a letter to the uh, householder, Philemon, in the church. They're met in his house, it seems, right? So what an amazing miracle of God's grace. So Paul doesn't end the letter about mega churches and multi-million dollar meeting halls with stadium seating and sound and video systems that cost more than the private homes of most who are meeting there. That's not on his mind at all. There's nothing about cathedrals. There's nothing about any of this, right? There was nothing in Colossae like that. There was a house church <laughs> meeting in the home of someone in town, right? Some Something like that was also in Laodicea, and he mentions here in the list the name of the man in whose home the church in Laodicea met. It was, his name was Nymphus. And so we see here at the end of the letter where God is working today. It's in the hearts of many. And what a wonderful, wonderful thing. He had opened the letter with the same subject, but not with the names listed. And so I'd like for Anne, if you'd read quickly there, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is, is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Thank you, Anne. So what's the most important thing that God is doing today? <laughs> He's bringing the knowledge of the grace of God in truth to many, right? And it's bringing forth fruit. The gospel is the vehicle God uses. It is the power of God unto salvation. Tom, I'd like you to also read about it because Paul uses some different words to describe the majesty and the glory of the work of God under grace in verses 12 through 15 of the first chapter. Tom? giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> so different words, but uh, certainly uh, powerful words that reveal the power of God as he's working today in what? Canceling out the power of Satan over the hearts of many, right? And uh, delivering them into the realm of his presence and power and grace. So... Personal names are given at the end and earlier, the teaching concerning those who had been saved, right? And he even mentions in other letters, 
names, sort of on the parallel with uh, Onesimus, right? Remember in Philippians, I want Lewis to read these four verses, and that'll be our closing today. But uh, remember when we went through the letter to the Philippians, remember Euodius and Syntyche, the two names, Euodius and Syntyche. They caused such a turmoil in the church in Philippi that Paul wrote a letter to the church and highlighted them as, uh, you could say, of troublemakers, but, but that's not a proper way to present it, and that's not how he ends his comment about them at all. It's not at all how he ends his comment about them, because these were saints of God who had a heavenly prospect. And today, and for some long period now, they have been in the glory, right? <laughs> and so, Lewis, would you please uh, read these verses here, uh, Philippians 4, 1 through 4, where we find out about their names and ours. What book are our names written in, Lewis? Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, and stay fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I, uh, I beseech you, dear, and beseech sin to cake, and they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. We with claim mass also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose name are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I said, rejoice. So what book are our names and where is your name mentioned? What book? He tells us here what book. The book of life. Amen and amen. Well, we need not say more. Paul has already said it all here, right? So end of the letter to Paul to the Colossians. And may it uh, continue to be a blessing to us today and always because it contains the truth that transforms, does it not? And gives us a foundation for liberty, deliverance from every power the enemy might ever bring against us, right? For we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. These are promises that will be kept. Amen, amen, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us today. And uh, the blessings of your word, Father, always amaze us because every time we open your word, we see what's written again and wonder why we never saw that before. <laughs> so, Heavenly Father, so thankful we are uh, to have it again uh, before us. And uh, may it be a blessing to us throughout the days and weeks. And whatever the, ch whatever the challenges are, Father, May your truth always overwhelm us when we consider who we are already in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we see the plan laid out for our future with you. So 
Thank you, Father, and uh, may each one bless, be blessed uh, with exceeding great glory uh, today and always. We would ask that in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen and amen. Enjoy the Lord, all. <laughs>